Well, hello again. Man, two weeks in a row? Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. First things first, uh, let's thank our veterans who serve honorably on our behalf here, guys. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, We're talking about authority today and how we are supposed to submit to authority which is a great plan for the senior pastor to make the youth pastor preach about this, all right? Um, Thank you, Barry, wherever you are for this one. Um, uh, If you got a Bible, um, digital or physical, or maybe you got a couple tattoos with Bible verses onto them, if you can navigate to Romans chapter 13, that would be awesome. And as you're doing that, I would like to start with a story. Um, Now this is a good story. This is one of my favorite stories to tell because this story is my love story. All right. Let me introduce you to young Brit and young TJ. Okay. These, all of these pictures, except for this last one, were taken during, during our dating phase of our relationship. So here it is. Young, the whole world in front of us. We've got everything. There it is. Let me, let me start by how I met Brit. I roll into church late, um, which is what I do um, often, (laughs) still to this day. There's some people laughing louder than others at that one. Um, It's still true. I roll into church late. I'm with my friend Adam, and there's this girl doing special music up front. We don't really do special music at this church, but special music is like a song that you're kind of just blessing the congregation with, and there's no expectation that other people are going to be singing, okay? And, and, and there's this girl, and she's gorgeous. She's beautiful, and she's singing beautifully, and she's playing guitar, and I have no idea who she is. And I look over at my friend Adam, and I go, who is this girl? And he goes, I think her name is Britt. And I go, I think I'm going to have a huge crush on Brit. He looked back at me and said, me too. I said, dibs. <laughs> Which all the dudes know is legal jargon for I get to go first. Okay. I, I, get, to, I get to do this first. And so there I am. Uh, she's there. I, I'm like, yes, this, this is it. I'm gonna, I want to I wanna talk to this girl. Now, at this time, I was 18 years old. Britt was 16 years old. Okay, a little bit of an age gap, but I just graduated from high school and I was the youth intern at my church, which meant that I worked with the youth group. Um, and Britt was volunteering in the middle school youth group summer camp. And I was running the program for that camp. So I made it so that everything Britt did at that camp was with me. That's the way you do it right there. She was my helper at that camp. And so we did. We talked, we walked, we went around, you know, doing the games, doing the devotionals, breaking up camp romances while letting our camp romance bloom, you know. Um, and, 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 it, and it was, it was awesome. We were, we were, we were, we were friends and it was, and it was great for a while, but there was a point when I said, man, I, I need to, to get to that next level. We need to have a DTR. We need to have a define the relationship. I need to be able to call this girl, my girlfriend. So uh, at the time there was a rule. It was a good rule is that, you know, if your job was to work in the youth group, you couldn't date members of the youth group. 
which I understand why now that's a problem, okay? <laughs> so I went to my boss, who was the youth pastor at the time, and I let him know that, hey, I want to date this girl. And he goes, well, you know what that means. And I go, yeah, so I, that means that I, I'm not going to work at the church anymore. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you give me blessing to do this? He's like, sure. And he goes, so, so I guess, so I guess so this is my last week. And he's like, all right. And then he looks at me and goes, hope she says yes. <laughs> and I go, and that's the first time I thought about it. I'm like, if she says no, I will be heartbroken and unemployed. Okay, this is going to be two bad situations all together. And, uh, but I went to the authority and I said, hey, I want, I, want, oh, I want your blessing in this. And so I did. So Britt and I, in our friendship, we had walked and we had talked and that was kind of, kind of what we did. And so I kind of picked out this spot in Port Angeles right by the waterfront and we were going to go on this long walk and I had it plotted out in my mind how we were going to do this. I was going to talk to her and I was going to, you know, because I'm a teacher, I'm an orator, I'm a preacher, I'm, an, I'm going to compel her um, by my words why we should be together. You know, why we should move to the next phase of this relationship. And so we're, we're walking, and I'm nervous. And I'm rehearsing in my head what I'm about to say. But I'm an auditory learner, and, and one of the things that happens is sometimes when I'm thinking thoughts in my brain, they just sort of come out my mouth, right? And I don't know that they're coming out my mouth. And so I think that we're walking in silence and just kind of enjoying the moment. Britt is sitting there watching as I am mumbling to myself and looking at my feet, okay? And, that, and, and, and so, so you got to just kind of picture this, right? I'm taking her on this long walk. It's only me and her, and I'm mumbling to myself. <laughs> She probably thinks I'm about to kill her, okay? That's, that's what's going on. And I kind of realize this at this point. Like, this is bad. This is not going well. So I need to launch into this speech that I've prepared. And so I decide, I'm going to launch in. Here we go. So I start talking, and I realize as I'm talking that the words that are coming out of my mouth do not connect. They do not make a whole lot of sense, right? And I can tell her face because she's confused too. Like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to say like 90s cliches about triangles and God's at the top and we're working our way towards God and we're getting closer together. None of that's coming out. None of it. All of it's just, just nothing. And then I realize, oh my gosh, this isn't working at all. But I've already quit my job. I'm in full send mode at this point. Okay, that's, that's, this needs to happen. So then I just look at her and I declare it. I say, I guess what I'm asking is, will you be my girlfriend? She, her face looks confused for a second. And then she like smiles back at me. And then I'm like, nothing I, may, nothing I said makes sense. Why is she smiling? And she goes, I would like that. There it was. The beginning of TJ and Britt. Right there on that waterfront. We walk back and I say, well, now that we're boyfriend and girlfriend, let's hold hands. There's some memories that um, you can feel more than you can remember them. And that's that one. We had to stay in dating relationship for a long time. Um, after Britt had graduated and we'd headed off to Bible college, God kind of arranged it so we both went to Bible college at the same time, went to the same Bible college. But one of the things that was happening in our relationship, especially our dating relationship, is Britt's parents did not like me. 
I know. <laughs> I, I, right? Um, um, I came from the other side of the tracks, you know? I got saved late. She'd grown up in like Awana and Christian school and, and her, her grandpa was on the elder board and she knew like all the books of the Bible. She knew every, all this stuff. And I was just this kid who just found Jesus a couple years before who was now dating their daughter. And they just were kind of trying to play the let's wait it out game. Let's see if we can just make this thing last. So we head off to Bible college and they sit us down the day before Bible college as they're dropping us off. And they say to Britt and I, just so you know, we know what happens at Bible college. We know that people get married really fast here. And we want you to know that we're not going to bless any marriage that happens before Britt has graduated from this university. Whew. So we've already been dating at this point for like three years. And that's like four years in the future. And then at Bible college, it is absolutely true. People get married after two minutes of meeting each other. They're like, you know, these, these dudes are like hopeless. They're like in their dorms, filling up water bottles for the Armageddon, wearing like capes. And all of a sudden they get a girlfriend and they're married the next minute. And then they're giving me advice on how to not be single anymore. That's a, that's a different story. I'm not going to get into that one. But it was hard. So what we did was we turned our four-year degree into a three-year degree. We took 18 credits every, every semester we were there, which is a full load. And then our last year there, we took 23 and 26 credits those last two years. Now, you guys know who go to college. That's a huge, huge, huge burden. And there it was. We were the summer before, we were, we were in the winter before the, 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 our senior year. And I came home and I figured, you know, hey, we're in the final stretch here. We got one year left. Let's ask if we can get married this summer, the summer of our senior year. And so we go to Britt's parents. I, had to, I, I didn't have to just go to Britt's parents. I had to go to Britt's grandfather. I had to go to Britt's dad. I had to go to Britt's stepdad. I had to go to Britt's mom, okay? I had to do all of these things. This was, this, this was, this was a whole fiasco. And they're watching online. They're probably laughing right now and also terrified about what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> Um, so anyway, I, I go to all these people and I kind of get the green, okay, that's fine, maybe, sure. But the last one is Britt's mom, who has been the hardest on me for this whole thing. And we, and then we say, hey, you know, we got one year left. Let us get married this summer. And she looks and says, no, no. Anybody else get a no when you ask for your, the, for your wife's hand in marriage? I did. And, and so we're like, we're like in bargaining mode here. Like, well, when can we? And we like work out a negotiation. Like they work at a car dealership, so they're really good at negotiations, okay? Um, and so we figure out that they'll let us get married the, the, the winter break of our senior year, the two weeks that we get off, we can get married. Because I think that they realize that nobody wants to get married in January. We did. So we did. We ended up getting married in January. And we entered into our marriage with the blessing of our authority figures. It was hard. We fought for it. But it ended up being blessings in our life. And I'm going to talk about that more later on. But the central point of what I'm going to be talking about today is this. Submit to authority even when it's difficult because it's for your good and because it's a debt that we owe to God. 
It's a debt that we owe to God. All right. Romans chapter 13, verses 1. This is a lot of words up here. I might split this up next service, actually. But it says this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against God, against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. If you've got, you got a physical Bible, highlight these words. Authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, this is a very pro-government statement. It is. It's a very pro-law enforcement statement here. And you would think that this would be written by somebody who had a good view of authority and had a good experience with the authorities that happened. It wasn't. It was written by the apostle Paul. And Paul's whole mission was to go from town to town to town to preach the gospel. And pretty much every town he went to, the authorities that existed persecuted him. They either chased him out of town, they beat him, or they jailed him. And so when we think of the backdrop for what Paul is writing, he has experienced injustice at the hands of the authority figures. And you would think that he would write the complete opposite thing. But he doesn't write that opposite thing. He writes this thing. And why does he write that? Because he knows this. It's our job to submit to authority, uh, not because of the goodness and power of the, the authority figure, but because of the goodness and power of God. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, I wish that every authority in our life was easy to submit to. But I, I, I'm probably talking to a room full of people like me, and probably in your life, you have some authorities that you have to submit to that you hate submitting to these people because they're not just or, or they don't care or they've actively worked against you. And so one of the hardest things probably in your life to do is to wake up and think, I gotta go put myself under this boss. I've gotta go put myself under this teacher. I've gotta go put myself under this parent. The, the deal here though is we don't do it because of the goodness of humanity. We don't do it because we're under good leadership. We do it for the glory of God. You see, when we submit to authority, we honor God. I think that's hard for us to hear. I, when I wrote that point, I'm like, this is going to be a hard one for American churchgoers to understand. Because we don't want to submit to bad authority. In fact, we root for bad authority to fall, to fail. The hardest, and this happens, the hardest types of, of authority figures for me to put myself under are what I call petty tyrants, okay? People who've been given just a little bit of power and they wield it like an ax. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, the crossing guard with all the moves and the whistle, Right? And he's going to let you know that he's been given power over you in this moment. So you're going to stop that vehicle and he's going to knock on you. You know, all that whole thing, right? You know, the, 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 the lady who's the ladies or the, the men who are in charge of the birthday cake at your work, right? And God forbid that there's an unsanctioned birthday cake that happens and, and but you have to submit under them. It's, it's tough. I talked about my friend, Adam, 
a little while ago. Adam was, is, is one of my best friends. And the crazy thing about Adam is we had parallel lives. Our lives existed in very similar manners. We both got saved around the same time. We both came from rough backgrounds, divorce, abuse, um, substance abuse issues. Um, and we found Jesus around the same time. And we both just fell deeply in love with Jesus. The only difference between me and Adam was Adam found Jesus at a Pentecostal church and I found Jesus at the Baptist church, okay? All right? And, and, and I don't know you guys, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but in the early 2000s, the Baptists and the Pentecostals were feuding, okay? This was like the Hatfields and the McCoys, and we were all pretty sure the other one wasn't saved. Um, and so Adam enters my life, and, I'm, and we just have this great connection because we come from the outside. We don't understand that these wars are going on. We just both understand that we, we love Jesus, and we want to share that with each other. We want to share that with the world. And so we just kind of find each other. And the crazy thing is I wanted to invite him to my church. He wanted to invite me to his church. And it was crazy because we realized really quickly that his church was really, really, really good at worship. Okay? And with just like a little bit of Bible teaching. And my church was really, really, really good at Bible teaching. With just a little bit of worship. And we, we, we wanted to just do life together. But because we got saved at the same time, we both looked like people who had just been saved. Adam was punk rock Adam. He had a mohawk that was like a foot tall, spiked every single spot. He had to use like glue. I remember him putting glue in his hair to do this thing. And it was like a whole process. And he had like a leather jacket with studs on it. And he'd always have like some provocative message that didn't really make sense on the back. It was like, like safety pinned to the back of his, his shirt and all that other stuff. And it was really, really hard for people to realize that like Adam loved Jesus. And I came from a similar background, but just a little different. I was skater, kind of stoner looking kid, TJ, right? I had the, the hoodie on, the sweatpants, always had a skateboard with me, really, really, really baggy sweatpants with skater shoes that were always really loose and falling off. And that's, that's what we looked like. And when we hung out, we hung out in Adam's car. Adam had a 1970, like 1979 Cutlass Supreme Primer Gray, okay? Now that's a cool car now. In the early 2000s, that was a piece of junk. I mean, if it rained, you couldn't go anywhere, because it just would spin in a circle. It did, that, that, that's what all that car did. Um, and so we were on the way to Bible study at my church. And there was a cop who wasn't even in his car. He just saw the primer gray and he looked in, saw the Mohawk, saw the stoner kid in there and realized this, this is not happening, okay? He pulls us over and he's pretty sure that well, something's going on illegal in this car, Okay. And, and he comes up and he is aggressive. He is a petty tyrant, right? He is yelling at us. Hey, hey, what are you guys up to right now? What are you guys doing right now? And Adam looks at him and goes, we're, we're on our way to Bible study. <laughs> dude, dude, belly laughs. He starts just laughing as loud as he can. He thinks we're being sarcastic. We, we and Adam look at each other like, oh, no, you know, like, what's going on? And he starts talking to Adam, and, and he starts aggressively talking to Adam. And I'm just looking forward, straight forward, and I'm just thinking, oh, I just hope this ends soon, you know. And he starts yelling at Adam, hey, show me your hands. 
show me your hands, show me your hands. And I look over at Adam like, Adam, show, you, show him your hands. And he, and he looks at me and goes, he's talking to you. And I go, oh, and I realize I have like a hand that's tucked on my side right here. And I go, oh, like this. Dude comes running around the outside of the 1979 Cutlass Supreme, opens the car door, whole bunch of fast food wrappers just fly out, right? Um, and... And he starts, he starts yelling. He's like, what do you got? What are you hiding? What's under here? And he starts digging underneath the seat, right? And I'm like, I look over at Adam like, what's up with this guy? And Adam looks scared. I'm like, what's underneath the seat? You know? And the guy goes, oh, are you hiding your bong under here? You got a pipe? What is it? What's underneath here? And I'm like, oh. I don't know. You know, like I'm sort of scared. Does Adam have a pipe underneath here? I don't know. And so I'm, and then he grabs it. He gets a hold of something metal. I'm like, oh, here it is. He pulls it out. I'm nervous. He's nervous. Adam's nervous. We look up and he's got himself an empty soda can. And I look at him with as much sarcasm as I had left. No officer, that's a soda can. (laughs) He drops it on the ground, right? Now, he's committed a couple. He, he's littered at this point, right? <laughs> and then he's, he's really aggressive looking. He's seeing us. He's like, what is going on here? And then he looks on the ground of the Cutlass Supreme. And what he sees is two Bibles that are stacked on top of each other. And he asks us, he goes, are those Bibles? <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And then me and Adam, at the exact same time, look at him and go, we're going to Bible study. <laughs> He goes, you guys are going to Bible study. (laughs) What church? (laughs) And then he did something that I've never seen someone with that much authority issues do. He apologized and sent us on our, our way. Now, all the way there, me and Adam were just talking as much crap as we could about this cop, right? (laughs) We show up at Bible study and guess what passage of scripture we're learning about that night? Romans 13. And so we explained to our Bible study leader, this just happened to us. Like, what do we do with that? Everywhere we go, we're judged, you know? We, 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 we love Jesus. We're, we're, we're showing up to everything we can that this, that this county has to offer that has to do with church. And we keep getting judged. We had good people in our lives. We had good people who loved Jesus. And they looked at us and they said, you know, sometimes we submit for our own good. But sometimes we submit for the good of the authority figure. And I go, huh? He goes, maybe you and Adam taught this officer a valuable lesson that day about the authority to which he wields. Submit to authority not because of the goodness and power of the authority figure, but because of the goodness and power power of God. Now there's one exception here, guys. There's an exception to when we can say, hey, we don't have to submit to authority. It says, the only time when it's acceptable to disobey authority is when obeying it would mean disobeying God. And this is not a small thing. This is not a small thing. And in my life, there's really only been one or two times where this has actually come into um, being, come into fruition. I've talked about this before, so I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. But Three years ago, we had the COVID uh, lockdowns that happened. We had COVID-19. And, uh, and at first, just like anybody else uh, in the youth group, we locked it down. We said, hey, we're going to go to online learning. And two things became absolutely um, real to me. One was that this disease was not affecting young people. The second thing was that the lockdowns were. And that they were, the kids were getting really, really, really 
hurt by the isolation that was being caused. And I went on more suicide prevention uh, calls in my pastoral career during that time than I've ever gone in since. It was, it was real. And so God illuminated a text to me and I realized in this moment that I had to practice some disobedience in order to obey God. And I did this not just on my own. I went to Pastor Barry. I went to Pastor Bob. I seek their counsel. They said, yep, we agree with you. And on week four, we opened up. We were the first, we were the first church, uh, first youth group, youth group in Kitsap County to open up. We opened up and there wasn't there very many people, but every single week there was more and more and more people. And God, because of that decision, he completely multiplied our youth ministry. And we did more baptisms, discipleship, and salvations than we've ever done since. The last three years has been incredible. God blessed that decision. But you guys notice this. This is still a submitted place to be in. You guys understand that? The submission is to God. There's no place where we get to just be the masters of our own destiny. There's a, there's a place in the Bible where it says, do not forsake the meeting together of the saints. And I realized that I was being asked to disobey God. And I just said, hey, I'm not going to do that. Let's jump back into the text. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the authority? Then do what was right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. The rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the, to the wrongdoers. Rulers do not bear the sword in vain. They do, not, they do not wield the sword for no reason. Now, when you think about governing authorities... The illustration of the sword is really, really, really powerful. And, and, and here's what we're drawing out of it. Authority is a sword wielded sometimes on our behalf, sometimes against us, but it's always for our good. Now, I think that each and every one of us can understand uh, a sword being wielded on our behalf. We thanked our veterans. That's what they do. They, they wield the sword on our behalf. The harder thing for us to realize is that sometimes a sword is wielded against us and it's still for our good. How could that happen? The only way for us to understand this is to understand the cross of Christ. This is who Jesus was. They thought Jesus was going to be this conquering king. He ended up submitting himself unto death. Think about the process of Jesus dying on the cross. He enters a week beforehand. He enters Jerusalem. He's teaching. He's telling. He's proclaiming the kingdom that's about to come. And then on that night when he is betrayed by Judas, Jesus willingly walks into the authority's hands. Now the sword is being wielded against Jesus. And yet Jesus is, is walking straight into it. Why? Well, he's, he understands something really, really deep. Two things are motivating Jesus, and we see it in his words. One, he wants to do the Father's will. He is submitted unto what the Father wants. And we know this because he cries out, hey, God, if there is any other way, let this cup of judgment pass from me. If we can think of any other thing besides the cross, let's do that one. But not my will be done, but your will be done. 
a submitted Christ unto his Father, but he was also submitting himself towards our salvation. You see this? He's being pushed forward into the cross because of the will of the Father and because of the salvation of mankind. He is thinking about the Lamb's book of life. He's thinking about the names that are going to be set free because of this act of great submission unto death that he's about to endure for us on our behalf. If this is your first time in church, if you don't take anything else from this, know this, you have a God who loves you, who knows your name and died on a cross for your sins. Now, the Pharisees of that day, they, they were so much hypocritical that when they, when they needed to kill someone, they would never do it themselves because they didn't want the blood on their own hands. So what they would do is they would go to the Romans who were the governing power of that time and they would say, hey, here's a rebel who's gonna cause a riot, so you better kill him on our behalf. And so Pontius Pilate is questioning Jesus because he's trying to get caught up on why this guy who seems kind of innocent is being persecuted. And now Jesus, up in this point, he's just been submissive, 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 and he's just, he, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he is quiet. But there's one time he breaks that quietness. There's one time he breaks that submission, and it's to teach Pontius Pilate about the nature of the authority that he wills. Pontius Pilate's asking him questions, and Jesus is just completely quiet. And then Pontius Pilate, he gets really mad, and he goes, Don't you understand? that I have the authority of, to, to kill you or to set you free? And this is where Jesus has to stop. He steps up and he says one of the most coldest things in the history of mankind. He says, you have no authority but what's been given to you by God. I go willingly unto this death. He's being pushed forward by the will of the Father and the salvation of mankind. And he's doing it based on submission. Guys, our cross, our Christian values, they all center around submission. Our job is to submit in such a way that the world can see Jesus through our actions. The people that you're called to submit to, you're called to be Jesus to them because Jesus submitted on your behalf. Authority is a sword that's wielded sometimes on our behalf, sometimes against us, but always for our good. Last section of scripture says this. Therefore, it is, nece it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I want to suggest to you guys this. Submission is a debt that everyone owes. Another way of saying this is everybody's got a boss. Everyone has an authority to which they have to submit to. We, we, we say, well, what, about that? what about that crazy narcissist who just has all these yes men and they seem like they have no accountability and they're allowed to do whatever they want. They still have a boss. In fact, we are told, now you want you to think of the person in your life, the person that you despise the most. And I know that we do despise these people because they wield things poorly. But the most proud individual, the most, the, 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 the most uh, uh, injustice-wielding individual in your life in leadership, they have a boss too. 
And that boss is their created order, is the creator himself. In fact, we're told that everyone, every single person, even that super, super proud individual to whom you despise, will eventually bow before Christ. Every single one of us is headed to our knees in one way or another. And so submission is the debt that every person owes. Why? Because we are a created thing. We are not self-made. As much as, as, much as we might read self-help books and we might, we might declare ourselves to be masters of our own universe and we might just listen to our Spotify and pump up our, our own egos so that we can do all sorts of things, we have to understand at the end of the day that we had a beginning and that we were willed into existence by a force that was not our own. Therefore, we are subject. We are below that created, that creator. So we owe a debt of submission. In fact, that is what sin is. Sin is when we refuse to submit to what God made us to be. Everyone talks about it, it's like missing the mark. It's like your path was altered in such a way that you walked away from God. See, God created us with intention, with design. Because we're a created thing, we're supposed to work in a certain way. And what sin is, is when we refuse to work in that way. We say, I'm going to do it my own way. In fact, that's the first thing that the snake deceives us on. God knows that as soon as you eat from that tree, you will know the difference between right and wrong. You will be the ruler. You will be the judge. You will be on a seat where God is. God is hiding something from you. He doesn't want you to be on his level. So Adam and Eve eat from that tree because why? Not because they thought the, the, the fruit was good, but because they wanted that thing that they thought God was hiding from them. It was the first moment when our created being became disobedient. We stopped submitting to our created order. And so what life is, what sanctification is, what, what, what this process of taking steps towards Jesus and away from self, like we talked about last week, what is that? It's us going back to our rightful place, which is a submitted place. It's us learning to be what we were always supposed to be, submitted beings unto Christ. Once you learn, once you figure out that the best that you can be is submitted to God, that's when all the blessings, that's when all the righteousness, that's when all the things to which God promised us becomes unlocked in our life. So long as we are proud, so long as we believe that we are self-made, we will never reach that level of our created order. Submission is a debt that every person owes. So I want to end here. I want to talk about these guys for just a, just a second. It was hard. And in fact, the day of our wedding, we're not going to talk about my haircut. Okay, that's one thing we're just not going to talk about here. It was a hard day. Not because we, we finally made it, but because we felt like we sort of had to wrestle that blessing away from Britt's family. And so we didn't know if us pursuing that blessing was ever really going to pay off. 
But the good news is this. God works in the lives of those we submit to. And sometimes our submission is to the benefit of those people that we have to submit to. And so as they pursued God and we pursued God, they figured out what Brit and I knew since that walk way, 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 way back in the day. That we loved each other, that we loved Jesus, and that we wanted to honor Jesus with our lives. And as they watched our young marriage, they became fans of what we are about. And in fact, they became some of the most raving fans of, of, of us. To this day, now, this is, these are the pictures I want to show you. I want to show you this picture. To this day, my in-laws are some of my favorite people on this planet. I know, dudes, I just said that, okay? I just said that. In fact, some, uh, sometimes my, my mother-in-law, she calls me instead of calling Britt because she wants to talk to me. And I will talk to her for a very long time. I will talk to my mother-in-law on the phone. That's nuts. That's a miracle big enough that only God gets the credit. And, and, and we have this beautiful, we go on vacations together. We spend all sorts of time together. The reason that we wanted to move back up to Washington State when we were down in Oregon was to be closer to them because of the mending power of the blessing of God in our lives as we came together under the submission of Christ and because we honored them when they were not deserving of that honor. And to this day, they still apologize, which is weird, Right? You don't have to anymore. We're good. We figured it all out. Everyone gets that I'm awesome. <laughs> and so the central point is this. And this is where we end. Submit to authority, even when it's difficult, because it's for your good and because it's a debt that you owe to God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much that you have made all things new. And as we've submitted to you, you have redeemed us. God, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, I pray that today they would understand that they, they aren't on their own, that they're not the masters of their own destiny, that they have a God that loves them, loves them enough and cared for them enough to die on a cross for them. God, I pray that you would beckon them to yourself because salvation is your gift, God. It is a work that only you can do. God, for us who are walking towards you on this road towards sanctification, on a road that leads us eventually to our knees, I pray that our life would be a life of giving up self, flesh, sin, and taking on the righteousness of God, taking on the submission of God. God, let us submit to authority, not because they are good, but because you are good. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people set. Amen. Amen.